Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast, episode 122. I just had to get it out. I just finished recording it literally 15 minutes ago. (laughs) And I am flying on a high frequency here. It was such an epic, cool, powerful conversation with a very dear friend of mine. Elise. I've known her for almost a decade. We met in Melbourne about nine years ago. Elise is a clinical psychologist and she is completing her PhD on mental labor, which is a very new topic. This concept, research, language, is very much in its infancy. But for the past three and a half years, Elise has been deep in uh, the research around mental labor and how we can powerfully share the load so our family or relationships can thrive and not just survive. And, you know, this podcast episode wasn't meant to go out for a few more weeks but I got to share it with you. I gotta. It's so powerful. It's for women. uh, It's for mothers. It's for people who are in relationships. It's for people who have families. So what do we talk about? Well, we talk about what is mental labor? What is mental load? And this, her research, this concept Uh, she started to notice when she was in her clinical practice. And now I'm not going to give too much away uh, because we're just going to dive straight into the conversation. But Elise shares how she came about uh, this research. We also talk about, you know, how we experience mental labor, especially women and mothers uh, and within couples. And, you know, we talk about what does it look like? What does it feel like? We chat about how do we help our partners understand what's valuable to us, uh, you know, and what is the mental labor or load that we carry? We talk about, you know, how do we improve sharing in our relationship? How do we both carry the load? We talk through examples and certain skills or strategies uh, that can really help our relationships to survive, not uh, not just survive, but thrive. And then we talk about Elisa's work, which is super cool. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to get the podcast episode out is that her and her partner have created this epic or are just about to finish creating this epic online course. And it is for couples. And it's to help them learn about mental labor and how they can powerfully share the load as a family unit or in a relationship. So their relationship and their family can thrive and not just survive. It's an online course. It's going to be self-paced. There will be videos and audio recordings. They'll dive into the concept of mental labor. They'll also talk about uh, how we can communicate more powerfully. They'll give you loads of skills and strategies uh, around all of this stuff that we talk about today. Warrior Woman, I highly recommend, if you can, (laughs) to get your partners to listen to it. Maybe, uh, you know, whack it on when you're in the car together or no, don't trick them. And we talk about this today. Uh, We talk about, you know, when we might do research and learn something new that we really want to bring into the relationship, how we can do that in a way that doesn't create more mental labor for ourselves. So I'm going to stop talking and we're going to dive into the episode with Elise on mental labor, how we can powerfully share the load as a family or within relationships so they can thrive and not just survive. Welcome to the Warrior School podcast, the podcast for women who train. I believe lifting weights, knowing our cycles and training with them is the future of women's training. 
I also believe this training, nutrition, and health stuff shouldn't feel so goddamn hard. And we should all feel strong and confident. So, this is your go-to show for practical information to build a stronger and healthier body. You'll find content on training, nutrition, hormones, and tons of experts who want to help you get stronger and healthier. I am your teacher, Amy Bow, coach, dietitian, and the creator of Warrior School. Okay, Warrior Woman, let's do this. Okay, it's go time, Elise. <laughs> Welcome to the Warrior School podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Elise and I have known each other. I was actually trying to think this morning on my walk how long we've known each other for. Close to a decade. I was just, I was thinking that. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's around nine years. I think that'd be about right. Isn't that crazy? A lot has changed since then. A lot has changed since then. Yes. Uh, And one thing we're going to talk about today is your work, your current work, your PhD, uh, and the super cool topic, which, you know, talking to you was the first time I have ever heard about this topic. So I'm really excited to talk to you about it. Should we start? Should we start? start. Absolutely. (laughs) We're going to talk about mental load. And let's start with what is that? Because I think uh, I remember talking to you a little while ago And it's just in its infancy. There's not a lot of research out there around it. And so I would love to start with what is mental load? Absolutely. I mean, the story of my discovery of it, uh, I think, is a great place to start and is the kind of way a lot of people come across it. Um, It's new to being research, but it's certainly not new in its existence. (laughs) And I think that's where a lot of the struggle sits. So mental labor or mental load, we kind of use them interchangeably, but what it's really talking about is the thinking, organizing, planning, management work that goes into running our lives and particularly running our family lives. So we so often have looked at how well couples divide up who does the dishes and who does the laundry and who cooks dinner. But there's been a real lag in thinking about the thinking work. So who writes the shopping list? Who kind of does that mental process of how balanced are our meals for the week? Have we got the milk in the fridge we need for Friday's hot chocolate? You know, they're actually thinking through in advance about what is required and needed. And then you extrapolate that across every aspect of physical labor. And then particularly if you add kids into the mix, then you have a whole other mental load as well. And so this research that I've sort of done come out of my clinical work, I'm a psychologist and have been for many years now. And I was noticing that there was women who had super involved and engaged partners, really thriving relationships, but particularly once they'd returned to work after having children, they were struggling, burnt out, overwhelmed. And it was kind of hard to put our finger on exactly why, you know, psychologically they were pretty sound, like I said, good quality relationships. And what started to strike me when I was listening to their stories and then looking at the research literature was this topic of cognitive labor, mental load. And that if we don't take it into account in how we divide things up, we get this really inequitable split and you have this mental exhaustion because you're constantly running to-do lists. You're checking to see if things have been done that you expected to. You're planning for future scenarios. And that is so invisible to the other person in your relationship. And so it makes it quite difficult to share in a way that feels really good if you haven't even had the language, firstly, to describe it in your own process, let alone be able to articulate it to your partner. So that's mental labor in a nutshell. (laughs) And um, that's what led me to look at it in the PhD research that I am almost completing, completed. Yeah. Yeah. 
when when's the finish line for it? Uh, in some final changes at the moment. So uh, optimistically weeks, realistically yeah. another month or two, uh, and then it should all be signed off and ready to kind of disseminate more widely, which is super exciting. Yes. Yeah, so how long have you been in this research for? About three and a half years. Yeah. So started this research, uh, as I said, as a result of my clinical work and then became pregnant with my first baby in the later stages. And I think submitted the final copy uh, a week after I had him. (laughs) And he's five months now. (laughs) So yeah, just some back and forth around getting some things, um, you know, really the way we want them to look and then yeah, should be ready to go. Okay, so you've been deep in this research for like a few years now, but like you said before, it you were noticing things in your work. So things were surfacing through your practice. Um, can you talk a little bit about some themes? Like what were you seeing? What were some really big challenges or the hard part? Was it uh, the whole mental load piece? Was it uh, the, the trying to articulate it? Like what is the hard piece around it? I think the invisibility is one of the hardest pieces. Firstly, being invisible to yourself. And like I said, then being invisible to your partner. So language is so important. If we can't describe our experience, if we, you know, can't create that sort of narrative, that story to really grasp what we've been going through or what we're currently going through, we can feel at sea. And so one of the biggest things that I found and that my research definitely supported was, and what I see when I talk to people about this, is that real aha moment when they start to notice their mental labour. So I'll give you an example. If we take that food example again, because I know that's something a lot of your your listeners, listeners would be spending time on and rightfully so, getting our nutrition right is important, but it is a cognitively taxing task on top of so much of the rest of our lives. And so people go, okay, well, I, yeah, I wrote the shopping list. I went and got the groceries. I've set aside the time to prep the food and then I've made the food. And that is by and large the physical labor. And then we've got to think about if we take family life particularly, because I think that adds a layer of complexity so many people have. So on top of that, what you've got to do is go, well, when's the time to go to the grocery store or when's the right time for delivery based on kids' nap times, school, work schedules? Um, how far in advance can I buy depending on the shelf life of the products I'm purchasing? What time do meals need to be on any given evening if I've got to cook that night versus having something pre-prepared? given we might have extracurricular activities or one of us is home late from work, you know, in terms of where my training fits within that, uh, what's my partner's schedule? Where are the kids at? What's my sleep been like? How do I fit that in? You know, I could keep going, but what you get is the picture of how extensive that load is. And so once you help a person start to talk that through, firstly, you can get a little bit of exhaustion and overwhelm. So we probably don't want to do that across every facet of life because it's a bit of a whoa, (laughs) how much is that really happening here? What we want to do though, is sort of use that feeling guide that we all have around where it feels a bit ick, where we feel really burnt out, overwhelmed, our thinking might be a bit foggy around it. We might have that real physical sense of heaviness when we think about doing particular tasks. And they're sometimes good indicators that our mental labor might also be a bit out of alignment. And so if you have a good look at that, this is what I started doing with clients and then explored somewhat in my research. If you start sort of noticing the mental labor you're doing, building that into your allowance for the time things need or for why things feel as consuming as they do, And then that becomes a really good vehicle for conversation with your partner. Um, One thing that did jump out when I was talking to clients about this is it's not necessarily that the division needs to be 50-50, purely equal in the most technical sense. And my research really did show this as well. A couple's experience of of satisfaction is really derived from so many factors that is not this uh, textbook 50-50, you do this, I do that kind of tit for tat sort of dynamic. (laughs) So I think that's a really good one to throw into the conversation is everybody's going to have a different solution and the, the, the skill is in good communicating to figure out what are your different skill sets, what are your different preferences and what sort of division will work for you. Yeah. 
right. And I really want to dig into that. I'm just actually pissing myself laughing because Carson and I have this funny thing, which is like tit for tat. And we'll often joke like you do that and I'll do this. So it's like tit for tat. And look, sometimes it's got its place, but uh, when we're trying to kind of get a more reliable distribution that works, uh, sometimes the running tally sheet isn't the best option. Yeah, but, uh, and I'm sure you can speak more powerfully to this, uh, having, you know, been a psychologist for a long time and helping people navigate relationships, but super common, yeah? The tip for tat, the I do this, so you should do this and... Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you can do it playfully, which it sounds like you and Carson might, then, you know, your damage is minimal or or non-existent. It's when it becomes kind of sharp. And when that actually is a, well, you need to make up your share of this before I'll do mine. And you're cycling into a pretty negative way of relating. And so I think that the positive element of this or, or where to take these sorts of conversations is, deliberateness is huge. Do not throw this at your partner on the fly, you know, and I see this happen for women and I totally get it that you finally have the language to talk about this struggle you've been having that you couldn't even figure out why you were having. You get it. And, you know, we're we're all seeing a little bit more of this language now. It's popping up on social media and there's a bit more popular discussion about this concept of mental load. So that Uh aha moment is happening more broadly. And then sometimes women sort of rush back into their relationship, like a bit of a bullet a gate and they're going, I figured out this thing and you need to do more of this. And I can't keep this up. And, and that's all so valid. Um, I am a big fan though, of productive conversations and thriving relating. And so, yes, Sometimes that's going to happen because you're a person and this is huge. But ideally what we want to do is try and set aside time to properly chat about it where you're not running out the door, where you're not throwing a task at the person because you suddenly realise this mental load piece is something you want to redistribute and do less of. So you kind of pop it on the whiteboard as you walk out the door or you send a text message from the car and you do those sorts of things in, in a really positive attempt to try and get things to sit better, um, but typically not super well received by a partner. Yeah. So, yeah, sitting down and talking about the fact that there's this piece of work that might not be shared as well as it could be. And there's so many systemic reasons why women do tend to do more of that load than men. Um, I think that's a whole nother conversation, but we can touch on some of it if you like the way that women are raised, the way that we're socialised, the way that uh, our ideologies of motherhood kind of uh, coexist within those structures of femininity um, from a social construction perspective do really position women to typically be the ones to do more of that in heterosexual couples. And changing that is a bigger kind of mission that is really worth our attention. But my focus as a clean psych is very much on helping individuals navigate this before we sit around kind of and wait for the systemic change to occur. So that's kind of my lens is how do we just get people on the ground feeling better about this in their day to day. So yeah, reasons why that is the case, but what we want to do is have really positive conversations with our partners and see them as our teammates rather than the villain in our narrative. Yeah, and I'd love to to get into what some of those conversations look like, but I just wanted to recap. So there is this like learning that happens uh, around there's a difference between an actual task, so a physical task of, you know, I can use maybe like I walk Hank every day, uh, but even before that I'm thinking about, when I'll do that, my schedule, I have to think about getting the treats ready. So to to make sure that, you know, we do training on our walks. So there, there's a difference between the actual physical tasks of doing the washing or unloading the dishwasher or going shopping or buying baby clothes to the mental labor that goes into that to prepare for the task. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. So there's there's almost a sequence actually is is uh, one of the things that my research kind of uh, kind of stumbled on as well as some other similar research in this area. There's a bit of a consensus now that we've got these sort of phases, and so there's kind of ongoing monitoring that happens where you're carrying this sort of mental uh, review process. Of, of where that's sitting at. So each day you walk Hank, you might be noticing, oh, his treats are, you know, they're diminishing. I probably need to pop that on the shopping list. 
um, that route we're taking, oh, the light's not very good now that the mornings are getting uh, lighter later. So I might need to think about that. So you're constantly running this sort of inventory of an, from an overview perspective, which then facilitates the identification of problems. And by problems, I just mean things that might need an action step to follow. And then from there, you're starting to draw on information. So you might, you know, where did I buy his treats from last time? Was that the best kind of price? Was that an efficient delivery mode? Do I like the ethics of the business I bought from? Who knows what your values kind of dictate around that, but that's part of the next step. And then it's sort of finding the time to execute the task. And then the monitoring kind of begins again, because each walk you're sort of paying attention to what your reserves look like. So for that one kind of micro piece of your morning walk with Hank, there's all of this mental load. Not all of that feels arduous or hard, right? That's, I think, an important thing to, a lot of it we do very automatically. We've got pretty good systems in place and we just kind of get it done because it's unavoidable. What we're really interested in is that mental labour that one feels really unfairly weighted in your direction, that feels really burdensome to perform, that might uh, consume a lot of your mental energy. The other one that comes up a lot is mental labour that's highly frequent, so stuff that you might be doing multiple times a day and food really is one of those for a lot of people and so a lot of women like I a lot of mums I work with and so maybe my walking the dog is not a great example for us to use um but coming back to the food so like this the concept of like the food preparation and, and, and feeding not only ourselves but our family let's can we riff on that a little bit and and kind of pick that apart like how do how would you support women with that with not only the physical load of doing it but the mental labor that goes into the food yeah so good systems are such a big part of this because systems automate our thinking so it's not always possible because change happens and you know life happens but where possible if we could have good systems and I think you've talked about this a lot in different ways your process around I think Sundays and Wednesdays you typically do a lot of your food preps all right yeah yeah. And so you might then go, okay, so these are the lock-in days where I've got the time I set aside an hour or two hours and that'll get me through the bulk of those in-between days. But then the next layer of the system might be something like I have a, a running notes tab in my phone of go-to recipes and the shopping list that sits with that. I have some, you know, a subsidiary list that is things I can cook quite quickly, things that might need slow cooking, things that bulk really well, stuff the kids really like, uh, good snack foods, hacks to make breakfast easier. So you start to systematize your thinking by having these go-to recipes, if you like. So that would be an example. And the other, I guess, the, the outer layer of that is determining is this a piece of labor both physical and mental, that it is going to stay in your domain or is it something that needs to be redistributed with your partner? So that could look like one of you does the Sunday cook, one does the Wednesday. It might look like you do the thinking work of it because that tends to suit your personality more. You know, that happens for me in our household. So I'm good at planning ahead, seeing where things will happen, getting the grocery order in. My brain just works like that and I can do it in amongst other tasks. It's not so much my partner's uh, vibe to do that, whereas he's a, a better cook and a more efficient cook probably than me. And I think he dislikes it more. If I never had to cook again, I'd be pretty happy, but I'll happily find the recipes and do the groceries and, and put it all in the kitchen ready to go. So that's our division, um, which has taken us some time to work out. For most people, you want to kind of sit the mental labor with the physical labor where you can, because there is communication work that goes into doing pieces of it each, particularly if you do say that sequence I spoke about before where you're kind of evaluating and monitoring and then problem solving and then researching and then implementing that sort of uh, paradigm. If you're sharing bits and pieces of that, it can get pretty complex. And in time, that becomes quite a good way to divide once you've established good patterns of communicating around this and separating out who does what based on skill set, preference, experience, time availability, those sorts of things. But in the first instance, it's usually easier to sit the mental labor with the physical labor. So let's say you take on the load of the cooking. That's a big load. <laughs> it's a really big load. So that might mean what your partner then takes on is a whole bunch of other pieces. They might do the laundry. They might be doing communication with the school and pickups and drop-offs and organization of extracurriculars. Um, 
and who knows what else, say the buying of kids' clothes and things. They might take on what looks like a lot more, but when we think about the volume, repetitiveness, frequency, um, you doing all of the food labor is pretty consuming. So there's some tips I think that women can find and, and couples can find quite helpful is just thinking about what are your innate preferences and skills and what does that do to how you divvy up that that load of the cooking and the eating and the planning of food and the decision-making around what to have and then trial it with a review date. So I think that's another piece that is super helpful is going, let's just give this a week, two weeks, whatever you decide, and then sit down and we can chat about how it's going. So rather than, you know, the crazy Wednesday that you have, you know, a week into it, that was just a nightmare of a day. I can't do this. It's too much. And even though I know we said this, so trying not to have a, a reactive process, um, deal with it, obviously, if you need to and, and get the support you need in the moment, don't delay that. But in terms of really reviewing patterns, we want to give things a while um, or a set period of time at the very least to see how they work. Yeah. So are you uh, having this conversation together, uh, sitting down and, and talking about, you know, like, how do you know who's better suited for what? Is this through just communication around, okay, this is what I would prefer to do, or these are my, these are my strengths, or, or, you know, what does that look like? How do we get to that place before we even set, like, the trial of doing it? Awesome question. Um in light of that, because this is quite complex and as we're sort of talking about it, you can see that although the the ways that it might improve feel fairly logical and doable, there's a lot in the nuance. So I am actually working on developing a course that couples can do together that really steps this out so that you feel super supported in making these changes. And the other reason I think the course is really helpful is such a risk with this mental labor stuff is it's another piece of work, another piece of mental labor for women to bring this to the relationship and, and present the solutions. I listened to this podcast, I read this book and I've thought about these things. And sometimes when we're creating change, because we're the ones feeling the change is needed, that's just what has to happen. But we want to just stay conscious of those dynamics. So I will step through this in heaps more detail in the course, which I'm hoping will be live in the next kind of month or two pending finalization of PhD. So that's super exciting. But in the meantime, I think the best shortcut is thinking about what are the couple of things that are really grinding your gears and ask your partner the same thing once you've both clarified this mental labor concept. So what is the stuff you can't get out of your head or you find really irritating to think about or you find it really heavy and flattening to have to think about and then start there? So there's so many avenues you could take, but going for those sort of bigger bang for buck items, I think is a great place to start because you'll feel such a positive benefit if you get some traction on them. So I think figure out what those are for you yourself and encourage your partner to do the same. Give yourself a day or so or whatever to have a think about that, then come together in conversation and then um, work through one of yours, one of theirs, and probably leave it there to start with. And implement your strategy to do that and have that conversation of let's say it's the food mental labor I'm just finding it so taxing you know I I can't seem to generate enough different ideas I feel like we're eating the same things that's really boring it's making me not feel like I want to eat those things and then I'm getting takeaway which is affecting our budget and I don't really know what to do. And so you can just present it as a problem to your partner because the other beautiful thing is we've often got really great perspective for somebody else that we can lack sometimes for our own experience because we're in it. So I think that's a great place to start is talk about where you feel stuck with it, talk about the pieces of it that feel hard and work with your partner to have that conversation around skills, preferences, available time and use those sorts of paradigms to problem solve a little bit about what changes can be made. The interesting thing is sometimes there doesn't need to be change. There just needs to be acknowledgement and validation. You need the work to be visible to your partner. And I see this a lot is the other partner going, oh my goodness, I had no idea how much went into that. My partner and I had that around our little bub's clothing acquisitions. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. They're growing so much at this age. They need different size clothing depending on the season and they don't grow in standard ways apparently finding all this out and um so you've got to kind of on the fly be making those adjustments and I explained to him one day you know 
I don't know about you, but prior to having kids, I had no idea how the zeros worked in babies' clothing, really. Like they have a month stipulation in Australia. So zero is, I don't know, six to 12 months or something. But I, I had to do this work to educate myself on what the sizing meant, on how to kind of figure out what clothing was required for particular temperatures, on how to assess his response to that, because obviously babies differ like we do with temperature. And then how much did I kind of want to budget to spend on that? Um, what clothing did I like aesthetically? Because that was something that was important to me is it's an enjoyable process if I got that right. And so once I articulated, you know, that's just some of it, but all of the mental labor I'd done there, he could properly validate that. And I was happy to keep doing it because enough of me enjoyed the online shopping element when I was breastfeeding, you know, (laughs) clicking purchase and having it arrive and oh, how cute is this? Um, But it was still work. And when that was invisible to him, it felt worse and so once he had eyes on that and could see when something arrived or I said, hey, here's his new outfit. Look at this. How cute is it? He'd go, oh, wow, what a great selection. And I genuinely felt he knew what had gone into it. And so often it is the validation piece, but sometimes we do need actual change. And that's where the two of you together can figure out what that the, the trial change anyway would look like. You're probably not going to get it right first go, get it right in terms of making it feel completely different and really good. Uh, it might be a process of iterating, but if you do the work in the short term, the benefits are huge for getting good systems in place that then mean when you need to make adjustments in the future, that communication foundation is there and it becomes a lot more seamless. Uh, thanks for sharing that example. That's That was a really powerful example. Uh, and I really love that piece, the piece of sometimes maybe we just need our partner to understand the literally the labor and the thought and the time and the energy that went into getting the task done so when the meals are in the freezer or on the table you know it's not just I spent the 30 or 40 minutes cooking it it was you know the hours beforehand that I had put my energy, my labor into. So that was a really powerful example about the clothing example. And I didn't know any of that either. How would we? <laughs> it's just not on our radar until it is. And then yeah. you got you got to quickly get that knowledge in. And um, then what popped up for me is with families and then you have kids and what if they are fussy eaters or they have allergies and it's just like you said, at least layers upon layers of like nuance and complexity. And, you know, then you're thinking about all the ways that you can help your fussy eater or all the things that like, okay, what's in this? What's in that? They can't have this. They can't have that. So all of the labor that goes into actually them sitting down to eat the meal, like so much. Absolutely. I think the other really important thing to flag too, is that there is a, a volume of mental labor that a lot of men carry as well. It's also been largely invisible. And you see this division quite quickly in couples as they have a child um, based on the research and what I've observed clinically, where men often take over the sort of household domain and then women take over the childcare. And a lot of the physical and mental labor goes with that. And that early phase of parenting, the childcare mental labor and physical labor is ginormous and that changes over time but there is a portion of mental labor men are doing and it's really important to me that that's acknowledged as well because it is often overlooked and we see this the challenges that women are having because the load is often sitting with them in that childcare piece particularly where the importance and salience of that labor is so critical to our children's well-being and thriving Um, but it's not to say men don't do mental labor I think that's a really important thing to add into this conversation and that giving them space to also be able to talk about the load they carry, what's working and what isn't so that the overall system is better for the couple and the family is just another really important piece to keep an eye on. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm not sure if you found this in your research, but you know, uh, like same sex couples or just even the primary caregiver of that, the, the child, you know, rearing load can often and has historically fallen with the the women's side. But as we see today, you know, there's so many family dynamics and couple dynamics. Uh, I'm not sure if there's anything in the research, but from what I'm hearing you say is that 
whoever kind of takes on maybe that child rearing initially, there's a lot of labor and load that goes into that. And so just, again, it's like having the conversation. Absolutely. And it's a knowledge gap that can widen really quickly and stay quite wide. You see it sort of emerge during pregnancy that the the person carrying the child is often the one doing the most knowledge acquisition about the development of the baby and uh, early childbearing practices and the things we need to buy for the baby. And then they become the person who knows and has the answers. So the other partner defers to them. What should we do about X? What have you read about this? And they become this default expert. And that can be quite difficult to get out of and has such a influence over mental labor because if you're the person with the answers you're the person answering your partner's questions which is a significant form of mental load um I popped up a reel a little while ago about the question often asked from one partner to the other of how did you want me to help uh what can I do to help and what I was really highlighting there is why that's not a great question. (laughs) And it's not a great question because it still relies on the mental labor of your partner to answer. So Mm -hmm. you're saying, hey, I want to show up and do some physical labor to support you, but I'm relying on all the mental labor that you are doing and have done to tell me what to do versus being an active participant in this relationship and household and being able to determine it's Saturdays. We do the washing and get on top of that in the morning. Um, We've got to get the bub out to swimming class or we've got this thing on later so I could probably wash the car and do this or whatever it is that is the system in your household and not even the system necessarily but the things with a bit of thought and attention you could probably figure out the question then becomes how can I help and then they the partner can feel like hey I'm showing up for you I'm seeing what you need I'm I'm asking what you would benefit from me contributing right now and there is a well-intentioned desire to support in that question, but it's lazier than it could be. And so there's some of the subtle ways that that mental labor differential can play out in relationships and can be really hard to spot. And really those things are about subtle changes. It's about going, hey, I know that's not the best question because I get that now. What's a better question? And it might be, hey, I noticed X needed to be done or Y could be done. Uh, Do you have a preference about which I do? minutes to finish something you're in the middle of how about I take the kids to the park and give you some time would that be useful right now so it's not that you have to have the answers it's not about expecting that you're able to read your partner's mind or that there shouldn't be good communication about each other's needs and uh, requirements it's just about doing your share of the mental labor so that it's not all resting with one partner who's kind of this captain of the ship overseeing everything Yeah, I really love that. And one thing that pops out is how do we navigate maybe when they, when the partner does something, but it's not up to our expectations or we want to control the task or how it's done. Cause I, we were just even yesterday hanging out the washing and like, you know, Carson and I have such an amazing relationship and we communicate beautifully and But he was hanging out the washing. And I remember growing up, my mom saying, I'm just doing the washing because your father doesn't hang it out right. And he was like doing something with my tights. And I was like, oh, could you, like, I even just said, could you just hang them like (laughs) like this? And he was like, well, I'm not going to help you then. So how do we navigate that? This is such a great part of this conversation. And I swear, there must be some research on it. I should go and find it. But the washing is one that comes up again and again, definitely comes up in our household. I'm like, just just shake it before you hang it up. And then you don't have to do as much on the other end, right? Um, Criticize at your own peril is my shorthand answer. Um, When somebody has been the primary person doing the task or doing the thinking about the task, they've got so much experience, right? You've done the washing 50 million times and seen what happens when you don't hang your tights up, right? They crinkle, they don't dry properly, they've got to stay out longer than the other staff, so then you've got to remember to go back out and get them. So you've lived the problems and therefore backtracked the solutions, but it's probably so long ago you've forgotten you had to figure that out. And so particularly once you're redistributing and your partner's taking on things they may not have previously 
And keep in mind, this might be part of your own experience as well, because as you redistribute, you might take on aspects of what was your partner's load that you don't have the same level of skill or experience in. So, you know, that's something we often overlook. Um, I think a conversation here is really helpful. And the conversation is something like, do you want me to explain my process around this and the why? The why is really important. Or do you want me to kind of leave you to your own devices and let you kind of figure it out? And then maybe we can review at our review date if there's anything that I need to kind of articulate about how that's going. I prefer the first conversation, um, but everybody's got their different styles. But the key thing here is if I'm asking for permission to share my process, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying, here's the logic I've developed. Here's the process I've developed. This is the mental labor sharing that is nearly always missed, right? Couples historically go, well, you need to do the washing now because I've got to go to work earlier. So I don't have time to hang it out. So that's now yours. And what they forget to do is go, well, there's a way I like that. And here's the reasons why I prefer that. It's not just a it looks pretty, <laughs> there's a functional process or there's a theory that I have. And not everything is this well thought out, but it, it is in a lot of situations. And so it's the permission to share and then it's the permission to share the why and then it's the surrender to let your, your partner do it their way. That, that, that last bit, the surrender to let them do it their own way. I think that can be really hard. So an example that comes up for me, I have to have a clean kitchen every night before I go to bed. For me, it closes a loop. Otherwise there's an energy leakage that my kitchen isn't clean. And so sometimes, you know, if I've done the cooking or, you know, whatever it is, and then maybe Carson's going to do the cleanup, but it's taking a really long time and I'm getting ready to go to bed. There's like this friction that I feel in myself of, and then I just go in there and I just want to do it myself because I need to close the loop. Uh, and sometimes I have find, find it hard to surrender to the fact that, okay, like he will probably do it. It's just going to take a little bit of a longer time. He's not going to do it exactly when you want him to do it. But you've had the conversation previously around how important it is for you to have a clean kitchen and here is why. So he understands that it just might not be done exactly how you want it to be done or when you want it to be done. So there's a surrendering to that. Two things come to mind there. Another piece of this that is a good part to include in the conversation when you're changing up who does what or how things are shared is a conversation about standards. Mm. And standards should never be a... Uh, dictatorial style of conversation. It's definitely about the creation of mutually agreed upon standards, but it's critical. Years ago, we had this conversation around cleaning the bathroom. I was like, if there's one thing I hate, it is cleaning the shower. Uh, I'll happily do a greater overall load if I don't have to do that. And my partner was like, yeah, no, no problem. I'm not bothered by that. So we actually had a conversation of what constitutes clean? What's the schedule? What's the flex in the schedule? What are the products that we use and why? You know, eco products are important to me because of a whole range of reasons. So we, we had that level of detail, which might not be the sexiest of conversations, but I tell you, it makes a difference. And this come up in my couples in research quite a bit is that often accidentally they'd had a standards conversation, but what it stops is the review. It stops you having to go, Hey, it's Wednesday. I know they're meant to have cleaned the shower. How'd they go? You don't need to do that because, or, or have they done it? Do I need to remind them? All of that is mental labor, having to remind yourself to check that it's done, having to review how well it's been done. It's still labor sitting with you. So you've achieved a loss of the physical execution of the task, but not the cognitive change. So the standards conversation gets you around a lot of that. And that might be a nuance that helps in that kitchen scenario, but on a slightly different bent, but, you know, on the same theme, what really surprised me in a beautiful way was the unique contribution sometimes fathers made to problems that they were having within uh, who did what and how they did it. And the one that will always come to mind is one of the dads was talking about when he goes out with their kids, say on the weekend for an outing, if his partner's at work or whatever, I said to him, so you take a bag? And he goes, nah, nah, I don't take a bag. I said, well, what, what do you mean? <laughs> the kids are, I don't know, four and two. No, I don't need a bag. I just bang them in the car and make sure they've got some clothes on them and we go do our thing. I said, well, what if one of them 
has a messy nappy or gets food all over their clothes. Oh, well, I either ask another parent if we're at the park because someone's always got stuff, you know, the other mums are pretty prepared or I go into the shops and I buy what I need. And sometimes next time I take a bit more with me because I sort of learned from it, but most of the time I can just figure it out. <laughs> I thought, okay, that makes total sense. And if you're happy to wear that process and it doesn't come back on your partner, because the, the flip of that is a partner takes the bag, uses resources within the bag, doesn't replace them, and then the next person is put out because their system's been affected and not kind of honoured. So that's a different set of um, problems. But this idea that our way is best is a really interesting one. So if we've always done it, that we've got the best way of doing it versus seeing that our partner might have something unique to contribute that we might not want to match, but the result is the same. There's times where I've got this caveat in my head because there's a Bluey episode, the Australian cartoon that everyone loves, where dad takes the kids to the pool and he forgets to take all their stuff and their fun essentially is affected because they don't have the right hats and they don't have the sunscreen. So they can only swim in the shady end of the pool and all of this sort of stuff happens. So there's times where a lack of that anticipating and preparation affects those participating, including the kids. And that's not really what we're getting at. The idea there though is it's a real risk to assume you always know best. And there's a beauty in seeing the unique way your partner might approach stuff and giving them the space to figure out their process. Because we do that in a work setting, but we often don't do that with a partner. Yeah. And I think a thing that we've worked uh, a lot on is around allowing each other to lead in a space that we're not super powerful in. So for me, it's like finances. You know, I don't like finances. I don't like numbers. And so Carson, we had a great conversation. We set time aside. We sat down. I explained, you know, like how it makes me feel, why I struggle with it. And he's great with finances. He loves numbers. He gets excited by finances and investing. So he leads me in my finances, but we set time aside to have that conversation. And that's something that he's really powerful in. Uh, and so now like the, the, the mental labor for me is, is not there because he gets to take, uh, take that role. And I think, you know, and I, you can speak to this probably more powerfully at least, but, you know, being aware of that first, but then creating space to have that conversation uh, is so important. And the, you know, how your nervous system is and how your stress is and do you have time and have you actually thought about some of these things before you enter into a conversation? Because it, it could have just gone on very differently for a long time when he would remind me, hey, have you been in and you know, looked at your, your finances, I'd be like, no, I haven't done that yet. And, and so we created time and space to really just figure that out. Uh, would you say that, you know, being aware of it, having a calm nervous system, creating time is really important? Absolutely. Because how we show up in that conversation is a direct result of how our nervous system is. Uh, you don't want to be on the attack. You don't want to be on the defensive. So that goes for them as well. You know, I see couples all the time who have really helpful rules around no conversations after 8 p.m., no conversations while the kids are up, um, those sorts of things, because it's that acknowledgement of I'm not at my best at those times and I want to show up as close to my best as I can for you as we navigate this important stuff together. Yeah, It's actually especially, really respectful. Yeah, especially for important conversations like what we've been speaking about today because and we're going to talk about your work and your course in in a second but it's you know this whole concept of sometimes we feel like we're just surviving we're just surviving in this relationship and relating to this other person and you know we're tired and we're stressed and a lot of conversations don't go, don't go well sometimes so how do you yeah how do you support people with that uh I'd love to know well, I think there's some good similarities with how you work with women, right? So you set aside time regularly and it's a scheduled period of time where you talk to your warriors about how things are going and it's a, it's a review and a perspective conversation about what's coming. And most relationships, whether they're romantic relationships, work relationships, coach trainee relationships, are all going to benefit from that sort of conversation. 
and it stops the ad hoc conversation, which I don't know about you, but in my relationship, that rarely goes well. And I haven't seen anybody's relationship where constant ad hoc conversations go well. So setting aside time is paramount and that's hard with little kids, but it's possible. It's just about what we prioritize. Um, And so what we prioritize is where our energy goes. And a lot of us could look at our screen time and our television time and our Instagram scrolling and probably find a really useful 20 minutes there to have a chat with our partner about how this stuff is looking. A bit like you talk about, the long way is often the best way because it's about deliberate practice. It's about consciousness and it's about not trying to take shortcuts. There aren't shortcuts when it comes to really good conscious relationships where this stuff sits in a way that feels satisfying and sustainable. So take the time, properly reflect, respect your partner, respect the dynamic the two of you have, see their struggle as well as yours. Because when we're in the hurt locker, that can be hard. Naturally, we see our own kind of suffering and struggle um, much more intensely than we see anybody else's. But the more we can witness that in our partner, the more we can actually see them, it starts to be easier to work this stuff out. They're not assuming you're in a healthy relationship, right? And I'll start with that assumption because there's other scenarios where you definitely need a third party like myself, a psychologist, a therapist of some kind to hold the space for you to navigate this. So there's always that, that if there's reasons where maybe you haven't developed those level of communication skills just because they haven't been on your radar, whether there's a kind of a backlog of of stuff between the two of you that might need working out before you can have this sort of chat. Um, there's a lot of scenarios where seeing a therapist together to work through this and other issues is just super helpful. And it kind of speeds things up because you learn the skills, you get support implementing them, and you're going to get some results. And I think there's so much power in that. So that, that can be a really great option for people. Um, but if that's not the case for you and you want to have a go at this with your partner, set aside the time, honor the time, try and see the best in them. You know, you've built a life together. You've chosen to spend your time and and life together building a a family or, or, you know, whatever family means to you. So make sure that that is respected in the way that you communicate and give them the benefit of the doubt where you can and then get really clear about what needs to change for both of you and get specific. We think it's so unsexy to have the level of specificity in our conversations, but in this domain particularly, and probably in most, to be honest, specificity is your friend because the more things that are overtly spoken about instead of just assumed, check understanding. You know, We do that all the time when we're working with people, you as a coach and me as a psych, you sort of, you do that. Does that make sense? Have you got any questions? What I was meaning was X. Have I understood you correctly? What I heard you say was this. So all of those sorts of things are aspects of the course that I'm putting together. So I step you through communication skills that you can kind of practice broadly and in relation to this, um, the kind of common problem areas. So you can sort of run a bit of an inventory between the two of you that can help you identify. I love the power of a good question. So lots of the course is how to ask better questions and what they might look like again, in this area and others. The course we're putting together, um, myself and my partner, he's um, got a quite an integral role as well. And um, we're using my research, obviously, as the backbone of the content and my work as a clinical psych and experience in that space. Um, our business is called Share to Thrive, and it's about helping relationships thrive. And Addressing this mental labor piece is one of it, but improve is one piece, sorry. But improving communication is a whole nother element. And then creating space to actually thrive on the back of getting some nice solid foundations in these areas is what it's all about. So that's sort of the phases of the course um, that we're going to roll out to start with. And it'll be a, just a really good primer to address mental labor, but also to, to fine-tune aspects of your relating more generally. Yes, we could probably do a whole nother podcast podcast episode on communication. <laughs> oh yeah, or three or four or, or five. Three, yeah, <laughs> six or seven or eight or nine or ten. Yeah. Um, so is it an online course? Does it go for, is it self-paced? Is it, you know, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Yeah, so I, at the moment we're fine-tuning some aspects of that, but it'll be online. Um, it will most likely be self-paced. I'm really keen to give people options around their consumption of the content. So we're thinking videos, audio, because I know for me sometimes it's much easier to 
you know, banging some audio while I'm going for a walk or driving to work. Uh, and the idea is you can both kind of consume the content and then come together at your shared time to, to chat through the reflections, uh, your thoughts or the conversation to be had. So lots of it is some information to kind of upskill you almost so the both of you can understand the concepts that we're trying to put in place or the skills that are needed. And then it's about workshopping that within your relationship. So uh, questions to reflect on together, to ask each other, to build understanding of each other's perspectives, and then conversation starters or structured processes to talk about these trickier issues. So for example, one of the skills in there is around how to actively listen So the practice of truly listening to your partner's perspective on something, how to kind of paraphrase back and not to do it in a a bit of a wanky way that sounds just irritating, but in a genuine way to make sure you've properly understood your partner. So often when we're talking, we're just waiting for our turn to talk. We're not actually listening. And so that sort of active listening is so powerful. And to be heard by your partner like that, particularly if you're somebody who's been in a relationship 10, 20, 30 years you can get on autopilot. You think you kind of heard everything your partner's had to say, and that's a dangerous position to be in. And so these kind of uh, activities, if you like, or things that you can practice together, um, practices is what I'd call them, uh, yeah, help build connection, help get you on the same page, help you see your partner accurately. Uh, And then from there, you can have really good conversations. So cool. There is one thing that I didn't ask you. Uh, that maybe we could speak to quickly before we just talk about where they can find you. You know, I'd really love you to share your Instagram page because you do some really, really amazing short videos that I just, you know, I just like consume them and I love them. I was like, oh, I wish there was more and more. And, uh, They're coming. Really, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, is what if we are a soul parent? What if we don't have a partner? And we have all of this effing labor to do. It's a big load. Um, my research didn't look at that specifically just because of the, the way that this research is in its infancy around mental labor. My work was around heterosexual couples with children aged sort of 13 years and under, just so your audience knows kind of the origins of that. Um, I'm so excited by research to look at this more extensively in couples that don't fit that sort of narrow um, type. So same-sex couples, different couples with different sort of gender identities, uh, split families, solo parents and the like. So there's so much more to come in this area. So I'm excited to, it's probably not something I can pick up at this phase of my life, but will be picked up. But a quick answer to the solo parents is you need a tribe. So find people in your orbit who can, help in these ways systems are your best friend you know take the time to set up good systems things you can automate uh and figure out just like you would in a relationship where the real pinch points are for your mental labor and direct your attention there to improve those and that will probably make a pretty big difference um but that would be the best place to start yeah i think we just have such trouble leaning on people and asking for help and actually creating a tribe of people you know oftentimes they do exist uh and it is really just you we need to lean on them especially if we are a solo parent who is you know has multiple children and is carrying the entire we're just not really designed to carry the entire labor and load uh and this is why Oftentimes we see, you know, nervous systems crumble and and chronic stress and hormonal problems. And it can be because we're trying to carry, even within a relationship, yeah, if we never speak up or say anything, we're carrying the entire load, which just crumbles the, the nervous system over time. And so I think it's, you know, finding someone that maybe can help you, get better at asking for help or leaning into your tribe. Well, and I think one of the biggest ones is figuring out what help we actually need because often we know we're drowning, but we don't really know why. And so whether that's, 
yeah, nervous system stuff, better nutrition, having a, a body and mind that actually has the right fuel and support to thrive before you even address some of this. Sometimes it's this stuff first before you can address the physical piece. They're so interwoven. But that's the other benefit, I think, of, of the course and of things like this and, and of the work that I'm passionate about getting out there is helping people think better about this, helping people think accurately. Because if you can find the source of the distress of the struggle, uh, get your head around what it is, why it's there, and then what you need, you're so much better positioned to get that met, whether that's by a partner, by yourself, by friends and family. Absolutely, the the uh, the fixing is so multifaceted and really depends on your context. But that clarity piece is just fundamental. Okay. All right. So course will be out soon. Yes. Watch this space. We're at Share to Thrive on Instagram um, where we're popping up bits and pieces of kind of education on this topic and just trying to really get you thinking about the ways it exists in your life. In time, we want to sort of share some more strategies and things you can put in place. Um, you can jump on our website, which is sharetothrive.com, and on there you can uh, pop your email down to be on the wait list to be one of the first to hear about our course when it drops. Um, there'll be some early bonuses for those who are some of the first to, just, to subscribe. So jump on there and have a look. Um, and yeah, more to come. And so excited to, to share this course and, and this research in a broader way to, to really help people in their lives with it. Oh, it's so exciting. I'll pop all the details in the show notes and then I'll be sharing it when it comes out. And all of my warriors go and do the course because it's going to be so helpful. Um, Lise, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for your sharing your knowledge and your work. Uh, and I am so excited to see, yeah, what you create in this space. Thank you so much for having me. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another Warrior Woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.